You are listening to Scattered by Anchored Baptist Church, where we are working to reflect the diversity of Hermanus as we gather to hear good news and as we scatter to share it. Over the last several weeks since Easter, uh, we have been met by Jesus in God's Word through the events of His appearances uh, after the resurrection. And this is to show not only that He has risen from the dead, but that also to show that all the promises um, that God has made and that Jesus made to us are coming, uh, are, are still going to be fulfilled. It's a seal, really, if you will, each of these, um, each of these appearances to show that uh, the defeat of death is true and all things will be made new. Over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking back in time now, before Easter, before Resurrection Sunday and Good Friday. Specifically today, we're going to hear about the Holy Spirit as promised in full, but also what that means for us since that promise is already ours, and for the disciples, it wasn't theirs yet. Then, for the next two weeks, we will see how Jesus' promised presence through the Holy Spirit will be what carries us through this world until that new heavens and that new earth. So allow me to read our passage for this morning to get us started. I still, Jesus speaking now, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. That is, you can't carry them now. You can't handle them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine, and He will declare it to you. All that the Father has is Mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So, some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me, but again, in a little while, and you will see me? And... Because I am going to the Father? So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew what they wanted to ask him. And so he said to them, is this what you were asking yourselves? What I mean by the saying, a little while and you will not see me. And again, in a little while you will see me. Truly, truly, or very truly. I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. 
But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take that joy from you. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you that you have gifted to us your spirit of truth so that we can see clearly your son who told us that he himself is the truth. Point us to Christ this morning, we pray. Amen. All right, here's our big idea for today. It's a long one, okay? We're going to say it twice because it's going to be hard to swallow. The Holy Spirit gifts, that is, hands over to you, and applies, that is, puts on you. The Holy Spirit gifts and applies each good thing that Jesus has won and accomplished for you. He has made all things new, turning your sorrow to joy. One more time. The Holy Spirit gifts and applies each good thing Jesus has won and accomplished for you. And He, that's sorry, that's Jesus there. Jesus has made all things new, turning your sorrow to joy. Jesus clearly has a lot to say to His disciples. They have sat through many sermons. Probably some of those were even repeat sermons and lessons. They have been listening and learning for almost three years. Jesus has to be almost out of material, right? I mean, every pastor gets to that point, I think. <laughs> what, why does He keep talking like something big is about to happen? Mind you, this is before Jesus goes to the cross again. I know that we've already been through all of it, but we're going back in time. He keeps talking like something big is going to happen. Hasn't everything that happened already been big enough, they're asking themselves? Why does He keep talking like this? Why does He keep mentioning His death? And why is He now saying, saying that He has many more things to teach us? Couldn't He have done that before? What's happening? Well, they're questioning all of this because they don't yet know or... They do know and they don't yet understand what it's going to mean that Jesus has to die. They don't yet understand that Jesus is going to have to suffer on the cross and then He is going to be resurrected. And they don't know yet what it means for Jesus to return to the Father after all of that. But if we include those three things, His suffering and His death, His resurrection, and then His ascension, then that gives us a pretty good understanding of what the disciples are missing out on. Right? Quite a lot. If you heard all of Jesus' teaching but didn't know that He was going to die on a cross for your sin, be resurrected for your life eternally, and then go back to the Father awaiting a day when we would be reunited then a lot of what Jesus had to say would be very confusing. So confusing, in, in fact, that um, He's going to say to them, I have much more to teach you, but it's not something that you can carry right now. Why? It's not something that they can bear, that they can hold, that they can understand. You might be hearing it in your ears, but it's not something that's going to be graspable, graspable 
and fully knowable to you, Jesus is saying. It's going to take something else for this to be made solid and touchable and understandable to you. Jesus says in John chapter 14, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said. Now this is already a promise that's been made to the disciples. That the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, is going to come upon them and everything that Jesus has taught them is going to be remembered. You know what that tells us? They don't remember everything that Jesus has taught them, right? But more than that, it's not just remembering. It's, it's being able to carry it, being able to understand it. That's not true for them yet. Now, what could this look like for them to be understanding what it is that Jesus is teaching to them? I think it looks something like what the disciples on the road to Emmaus experienced when Jesus, after His resurrection, showed up to them on the road and walked with them and talked with them and explained everything that all of the Old Testament had to say about who He was. We read in Luke chapter 24, "...and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. This is the type of thing that God the Holy Spirit is going to do. But not just in a one-time event like the resurrected Jesus did with those two disciples on the road to Emmaus. This is going to be an ongoing thing that God the Holy Spirit is doing. Taking all of Scripture and showing you Jesus through it. This is exactly what Jesus is talking about here in our text this morning, or at least in the first three verses of our text this morning. What exactly do we see happening here? What exactly do they need the Spirit to come and do for them that they can't fully grasp, they can't hold on to yet? Well, we read here that um, the Holy Spirit is going to come and show them the truth. What does Jesus say about Himself? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the truth. God, the Holy Spirit, is coming to do exactly that. To show His disciples who Jesus truly is. And to do that not only throughout the Holy Scriptures, right? Not, not only throughout the Old Testament, but to do that in all things from now until the end of time. Now, we also read here that the Holy Spirit is not going to do this by His own authority. That's kind of a weird phrase, right? Because God, the Holy Spirit, is God. Why does He not seem to have any authority? No. It doesn't say that the Holy Spirit has no authority. It says that He's not going to come of His own authority. What does this mean? It means that God, the Holy Spirit, is not coming on His own mission to do something that He uh, wants to do. Um, Ambrose, an early pastor, said it like this, God the Holy Spirit is going to come and be speaking in the voice of the triune God. That is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit speaking in unison, showing everything in unison to the disciples, to His people. 
Also, we read here that whatever the Spirit is told, that will be what He speaks. Also an interesting thing, right? God, the Holy Spirit, the one that literally inspires the writing of all of Scripture, is going to be told what to say. What is this? What is happening here? This also includes God revealing the truth about final things. That is, the conclusion of all things. He will show the goodness and greatness of Jesus, and He will also take the gifts of Jesus and declare them. We read this word twice here. Declare. What does it mean to declare? I go back to it all the time because it's something we need to be reminded of all the time. What happens when God speaks? Things happen when God speaks. When God speaks, light, darkness becomes light. When God speaks, nothingness becomes somethingness. God's Word is powerful. What does it mean for something to be declared to someone? It means it's true, it's real, and it's really theirs. So that when God the Holy Spirit declares something, it is applied, it is put on them. And so we read here, this is what is going to happen to the disciples. Specifically, He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. Glorify Goodness and greatness, right? The Holy Spirit's going to come and show the goodness and greatness of God the Father from whom He sent and of God the Son who also is sending God the Holy Spirit. So He's going to show the goodness and greatness of Jesus and He will take those good gifts that Jesus has won for us. What do those things look like? There are too many to list, but they look a little bit like this. Forgiveness of sins. Peace with God, right? The seal of the promise of forever life with God after death. Just to name a few of them. And all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that He will take what is mine and declare it to you. And here we have Jesus in a very confusing, it is confusing, veiled, maybe, way describing who it is that God is by nature. He is triune. He is three in one. And so we see here that the Father and the Son share in all things, and so the Spirit does also. This is maybe a little bit what these gifts sound like that are declared to the disciples and that have been declared to you. So, just as a reminder, Jesus is speaking something here to the disciples that has not yet taken place. Is God the Holy Spirit working in their lives? Yes. God the Holy Spirit is gifting them the faith that they need to believe that Jesus is who He says that He is. And yet, Jesus is also talking about something more specific here. And yet, for you and for me, this is a gift that has already been applied to our lives. It's not to when the Holy Spirit comes, He will do this. He has already done this to you. And this is a little bit what this might sound like. Romans chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then inheritors. Inheritors of God and fellow inheritors with Christ provided that we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. 
here in a couple Sundays, we'll be uh, stumbling into Trinity Sunday, and we'll be talking a little bit more about the, the, the beauty of our triune God. But for this morning, that's where we have to sit with these couple of verses. Because we also want to make it into the second half of our passage this morning. A little while. How many times do we read this? I can't even count. I think it's like seven times. Okay, It's a lot. We see it over and over and over again. A little while. A little while. A little while. Now, the disciples seem confused by this little while, right? They even say as much. What does he mean by a little while? And this would have been a confusing things for the a, a confusing thing for the disciples to be hearing because they've heard this phrase many 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 times before. In fact, there's a purpose for the repetition of a little while in our text this morning. It's to echo the repetition of this phrase, the repeatedness of this phrase throughout the rest of scripture. Where else do we see this? Well, we see it primarily in the prophets. We see it in Hosea, we see it in Jeremiah, we see it a lot in Isaiah, Uh, we see it lots of other places as well, but why do we see it? When do we see it? What are they saying when we see it? Well, over and over and over again, a little while is always related to the judgment that God's people will receive for their sins. It's always in terms of For a little while, you will suffer judgment. And then in a little while, that'll be over and you will receive God's good news. So a little while, you'll be judged. And then a little while, you'll receive that promise from God once again. And this happens over and over and over again in the prophets. And so Jesus is doing something very similar for His disciples here. He's saying to them, look, I am going to go to the cross. He's repeated this many times to them. They haven't quite understood it, and they're not going to understand it now. And he says, for a little while, I'll be gone. But then in a little while, I'll return. And we see how this has played out over the last three weeks, right? The disciples were scared. They were fearful. Jesus was gone. Where was he? What was he doing? Well, we know what he was doing. He was actually taking that for a little while, that judgment that God always promised to his people when they were lost in their sin, and he was taking that upon himself. You might not understand it, disciples, but Jesus is saying, for a little while, I'm going to go and I'm going to suffer for your sin and God's judgment is going to be placed on me. God's wrath is going to be placed on me so that in a little while, you can be reminded of the good news that you have in me. So for a little while, Jesus is going to be gone. What does this look like for us specifically? Well, this looks like Good Friday to Resurrection Sunday. For a little while, Jesus is gone, winning the victory on our behalf. But then after that, He will return. And what does He promise to them? After that, very truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, which is exactly what they did. But the world will rejoice, which is also exactly what the world did. 
Finally, we've gotten rid of that, that headache, Jesus. We've gotten rid of God trying to reveal Himself to us. And now we can go back to sitting on the throne of our own heart. We can go back and start declaring who God is for us instead of God telling us who He is for us. And so in that, the world rejoiced. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. We saw this, was it last week, two weeks ago? I don't even remember anymore. When Peter jumps out of the boat, right? His sorrow was turned to joy. In the upper room, everyone's a little bit standoffish when Jesus is appearing and showing His scars. But on the beach, when there's food available, no. On the beach, when Jesus is there present, Peter is eager to jump out of that boat. He's not scared anymore that his sorrow is going to last. He actually knows that his joy has, his sorrow has been turned to joy, and that joy is forever and real. The promises, the, 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 the good things that Jesus promised to do with His good news, those things have been sealed and made true in Jesus' work on Peter's behalf, right? And so Peter's going to jump out of that boat because his sorrow has been turned to joy. And then John does, or Jesus does, John accounts for us what Jesus says here. And ladies, um, I have never given birth, so forgive me for this. But this is an illustration coming from the text. And I have got to witness five births. Um, and it's pretty amazing, right? Birth is an amazing thing. But it's not all sunshine and roses either. We know this. There is great pain leading up to it for nine months. And then there's great pain in the moment... And it's only after that moment comes that joy follows, right? Ladies, I'm not going to try to project onto you, but I do know that anytime I need to do something difficult, I wait till the very last minute to do it because I don't want to do it. But I'll tell you what, when I do something difficult and it turns out for good, I always think to myself, you know, I should have done that before. That was pretty great, right? Birth is different than that, and yet there are some similarities there. Where you want to go through the process, and yet you don't want to go through the process. Because it's going to be painful, it's going to hurt. But on the other side of that, there's joy also. This is not just uh, an image of childbirth that Jesus is painting for us. He's also echoing back to the prophets. In fact, throughout all the Old Testament, the picture of childbirth and the pain that comes with it and then the joy that comes after it is something that has always been used as a picture to show the coming of God's forever kingdom where we will dwell with Him in His presence forever. And so as we await that new heavens and that new earth, as we await that day when Psalm 148, although we see it in glimpses now, is true, as we await for that day to be made totally real and full, there is pain and there is sorrow still. Now, for Jesus' first group of disciples, His apostles here, uh, their sorrow was at His death. And their joy was at His resurrection and the promise that that brought for them. 
And yet for each of you, um, that's true. And yet for each of you, just like the disciples did as well after that, we experience sorrow. And not all painful things make us better people. That's true. I always like to think, well, when I go through this hard time, it's going to be a challenge and then I'm going to be a better person on the other side of it. But that's not always true. Sometimes it weakens us. Oftentimes it weakens us to the point of death. So how is our sorrow going to be turned to joy? Well, one of the ways our sorrow is going to be turned to joy is through the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, always pointing you back to Christ, the things that He has won and accomplished for you, and then God the Holy Spirit declaring it and applying it on you. But let's dig just a little bit deeper into this analogy um, that John is using here, that Jesus is using here. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come, but when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish. For joy, for joy that a human being has been born into the world, so also you have sorrow now. But I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one can take that joy from you. We read this in Isaiah chapter 66. Before she was in labor, before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came upon her, she delivered a son. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such a thing? Shall a land be born in one day? Shall a nation be brought forth in one moment? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she brought forth her children. Shall I bring to the point of birth and not cause to bring forth, says the Lord? Will I, who cause to bring forth, shut the womb, says God? Rejoice with Jerusalem. Be glad with her. All who know, all you who love her, rejoice with her in joy. All you who mourn over her, that you may nurse and be satisfied from her consoling breast, that you may drink deeply with delight from her glorious abundance. You got to remember here at the very end of Isaiah, what are we talking about? This Jerusalem? We're looking forward to that Jerusalem that's descending out of heaven, that new heavens, that new earth. That's what we're looking forward to at the end of Isaiah. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream, and you will nurse you shall be carried upon her hip and bounced upon her knees as one whom his mother com- as one whom his mother comforts so i will comfort you and you shall be comforted in jerusalem you shall see and your heart will rejoice your bones shall flourish like grass and the hand of the lord will be known to his servants and he will show his indignation against his enemies this is just one glimpse of this metaphor of childbirth, this picture of childbirth in the Old Testament. But, with this little while, this judgment that leads to eternal promise with God, this is exactly, Isaiah 66, this is exactly where Jesus is directing His disciples to look towards. To be looking towards that day when all of God's promises are richly fulfilled 
to them. That day when your sorrows turn to joy, but then that joy is never taken away from you. Anchored. You might not experience it every moment of every day. You might not be experiencing it right now. But you have a joy gifted to you by Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit that cannot be removed from you. It is a joy that you are going to carry with you until that last day when all things are made new and right. The Holy Spirit gifts and applies each good thing Jesus has won and accomplished for you. He is making all things new. He is turning your sorrow to joy. Until next time, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is with you all.